welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody, what's up? Knock On Podcast, never know the number, but I'm I'm pumped for this one. I've got Dan Stanton from Elk Shape, and what's happening, dude? Well, just, you know, living the dream, man. <laughs> you are. You are, actually. I was thinking about that. Um, I was thinking about that the other day. I was kind of watching some of your stuff, and I was just like, you know, there's for the amount of people that kind of are passionate about the types of things that we do or you do and um that really want to kind of like be get into the industry and and do something um not everyone does you know and there's a lot there's so many different variables to that um but it's cool to see like i love your story because I've, I've recognized you for, you know, almost like a decade of just like, you know, you were freaking, you were grinding in the weight room way before it was like cool to, um, and, and honestly, for the longest time, I know that like, I know Cam got, you know, some ridicule early. I know that I did too, where people were saying like, it's hunting, you know, it's not like, you know, I don't need to be like a crossfitter or a marathoner to, to hunt. And then it just like, it's been reshaped. It really has. And people are seeing the benefits of, of being committed to, to this hunting lifestyle, 365 days rather than 90. So it's really cool to see elk shape kind of take shape and you to be able to, to be doing something that you've been consistent with, which is for me stands out. Yeah, man. Thanks. I, I do think there's something to be said about we as bow hunters or whatever archers for your platform are super blessed to have this thing that jumps us out of bed every day. And we're excited to get, hit the ground running. Uh, we have this thing to train for. We have a why we have a thing that, that kind of can drive us when, you know, a lot of people don't have, they don't have that thing in their life, that passion for something like archery or bow hunting. So I just consider myself super blessed or lucky or fortunate, whatever you want to call it, to have this gift. And I'm going to leverage the hell out of it, man. I want to, you know, work as hard as I can and leave no stone unturned. Um, and I do feel that, you know, I always say people's separations in the preparation, but I don't know. People don't have to prepare. You you could show up to the trailhead and not be in shape and go get an L. People do it every year. Um, but, John, I want to be doing this until I die. I, I don't know when that day is. You don't either. But I want to be the 85-year-old elk hunter. And I haven't seen anyone really out there. I know they're out there, but I want it to be a thing. So, for me, it's trajectory, long-term. Yeah, you that, know what I mean? That's a good point because one of the things that I've – learned and and has been very continual you know i've been i've been really fortunate to do things that honestly i never have really talked about in the industry and and there's really very few people that know like everything that i do other than what you see on social media but you know years and years ago i was in reno um doing some private lessons for some really like really, really wealthy people that were, um, that were out there at the safari club show. And as I like worked with those people and then some of them did like privates and stuff like that. Um, the one thing that was so consistent is like, they were all going like, yeah, I booked this hunt and it would be something, you know, ridiculous that you were, you and I would never afford, but they're like, the sucky part about it is I was in shape to do this in my 30s and 40s, and I don't even think I can do it now. Like, and, and, the, and 
a bunch of times people gave me the advice of if you can if you ever have a dream to like do some of these harder hunts do them like don't wait until you can totally afford it to do it because chances are by the time like you're content with like where you're at financially you're going to be like past your prime and there weren't really any of those people that I could tell took care of themselves. Whereas like you or I know people, you know, that are freaking in really good shape in middle age because they're commit, you know, it's, it's been their life They're They do it all the time. And I just feel like, although some of that advice was good of, you know, if you're only ever going to try to do that, that type of hunt when you're beyond content financially, it might be too late, you know, but, um, I don't know. I feel like, like the path that so many people are showing the archery and bow hunting community right now is, is making better hunters. And honestly, it's making like people are shooting bigger animals and people are having more success. And it's not because, like it's not because the wilderness is growing better animals. I just think people aren't missing opportunities like they used to, you know, when they'd go out and be like, God, I saw the biggest bull of my life, but he was a ridge over and I couldn't get there. Like there's people now that'll get there. Well, it's, it's an evolution that, you know, we are fortunate and, and you way more than me uh, to have platforms to help people, with these questions and there's no longer an excuse. Like I don't have a mentor. I don't, I can't get into hunting or archery. Uh, when I first got a bow, I was, I was, uh, 20 years old and I bought a bow from a local, uh, pawn shop. Didn't, that's just what I got. And there was no school of knock to go through on YouTube and learn some really good principles out of the, out of the get go. You know, it was, it was teach yourself really poor habits. And then when I finally did get a coach, it was like, Oh my gosh, I taught myself everything wrong. And so just the (laughs) fact that people can learn the right way and it's free, like you do so much for free. It's, uh, it's really, there's no excuse not to be at your best. And it also goes into the fitness realm, the nutrition realm. People are, have the most knowledge at their fingertips and it's really the balls in their court if they want to take advantage of it. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, and everybody, not everyone has the ability to, I guess, offer free content, you know, especially people that are, well, there's some people that want to make a living in the hunting industry. So they're trying to make a a living off, you know, monetizing, but, um, that's just never been my, my passion. And luckily, luckily, like our, our brand is supported by the community to the point where, I can do that, you know, without, without, without necessarily having to do it. And, um, I don't know. I feel like the more you do, especially if people see improvement from it, the more they, they trust that. And I I had this conversation with Barclow, with Barclow on the last podcast, um, that I did with him because honestly even today I was like loading something on my YouTube channel because I'm launching a um, a self-guided elk hunt um, today or tomorrow and there was just something to my feed obviously some people paid a boost so you know there's like stuff that just comes up and right away when I saw it I'm like come on dude you can't like you can't say like you can't make claims about like broadheads like that when I've when I know this guy has shot less in his lifetime than some of us have shot in a year so it's like you know you can't like it's just like science you can't you can't base a super stern opinion and then try to educate people on the fact that you've you know shot three does with something it's just like you have to be you have to try it in a, a number of elements. There's just way more to it. And, you know, and I think you, I think just based on some of the equipment that you shoot, like you, 
even though you try new things and give opinions on new things, you do have certain things that you're kind of timeless with. And it's based on years of trust, man, you know, and I'm the same way with certain products like my site. It took me 23 years to, to finally switch to a spot hog site, even though I knew it was a good site, you know, cause I just had this old one that I loved and it was bulletproof. So how, what's your thoughts on that? I you know there's tried and true. And I think, uh, check the comments on a lot of YouTube channels, spe- you know, specifically archery ones, and everybody is an expert. Um, and so I think you have to take the good and the bad. Um, yeah. If you are a consumer of content, anyone can be a self-proclaimed like expert or subject matter expert on archery. So, but it is my opinion that people can sniff that out and. Yeah, you can do hopefully. some fact checking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope so. And you can see, you know, who's lived the life, who who really knows what they've done, who's been on a lot of blood trails, who's cut up a lot of animals and whose freezer's full and is living that lifestyle. So, um, tried and true things are are it's kind of funny, but when it comes to archery, I have one release that is like 20 years old and I still use it <laughs> from time to time. Yeah. Um, but I don't like saying that. It makes me feel old, but yeah, like <laughs> No doubt, man. Changing is, no, is hard seasoned. for everybody. You're seasoned. Yeah. Yeah, seasoned yeah. like a fine wine. But, <laughs> exactly. but no, man. I actually, on one of my rigs, I have your, your knock-on site with Spot Hog. Oh, um, you do? Cool. I wanted, yeah. I wanted to kind of see what that was all about. I've ran Spot Hogs, Black Golds, Sherlock back in the day. Um, I like to tinker, and I like to mess with new equipment. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes sometimes good products don't need they don't need overhauls like i've just been lucky with the fact of i've worked with people long enough to where i'm able to adjust nuances there's times where there's like a full concept in a direction but there's also times where it's like hey spahog had a freaking awesome site it was a good site i personally like the fast eddy i don't prefer a dovetail when i'm hunting because i don't i don't like any type of an extension that has the ability to that has the ability to have some movement and i also know that i don't need to change it and then obviously like when it came to colors that i see i don't see yellows or oranges well which is kind of why i struggled for a long time on a vegas face so i mean red pins and green pins made sense to me and you know, for tack events, hundred yard, um, hundred a hundred yard scale wasn't enough. You know, so you know we did the math to get, to get new scales. So it just it was a good fit. You know, it was a good fit. And just like with Carter's, Carter makes an awesome release. And you know, I've been with Jerry since since before I had a pro card, and he makes a good product, but even back when he didn't have two finger releases and I said, you know, I really, I was cutting the fingers off mine and he just, you know, he ended up like giving me one as like a gift for winning a tournament and said, I made you this. And then, you know, over time I kept shooting it and people wanted to know like, you know, where do you get that from? And then eventually, you know, we, we brought that out and, and then with this backstrap, you know, took a lot of things that, that are, pinnacle to my coaching style and stuff that I've worked on Jerry with in the past and figured out a way to do it better and be able to get a patent, you know, put in for it and then brought that to the market, which I'm really happy about, you know? Yeah. You probably don't have any in stock. I would imagine it (laughs) sold pretty fast. Yeah. They were gone. And what sucks is, um, there's been people that like email us and say, you know, what you're doing is wrong for you to bring something out and you don't, you know, you purposely don't have stock to create a false demand. And believe me, there is like, there is nothing more we can do to have more on order or build them faster. Like there's not, and we have to, we have multiple releases. So we have to like, you know, like right now the, the backstrap sold out, but we're also sold out of two smooths. And we're also sold out of 
knock to it. So like those are having to get made for a quick period of time so that then we can get the, you know, back straps going again. I mean, it's a good problem to have, but, um, I don't know. It, it stinks when like, I'm excited. I'm really excited about this. Cause I know there's so many wrist strap shooters out there that, you know, and, and just reading comments and being tagged in posts where people are like, Holy cow. Okay. You know, this, this I've never felt a shot like feel like this before, you know, cause there's a lot of wrist strap shooters who have never learned to shoot a hinge properly to where it goes off with a surprise or, you know, or shot attention base release where it goes off with a surprise. So it's, it's really cool that people are able to experience that for the first time with a style and like an anchor position that they're used to having. Yeah. Like, so we, when we do these elk shaped camps, you know, we we're doing seven this year. We've been doing it for a few years. The first thing we do is we meet them on a Friday night. We say hello, and then it's grab your bow. We're heading out to the range. Oh, and by the way, when you signed up, you told us that your effective archery range was 60 yards. Well, we're going to test that right now in this high-pressure situation. <laughs> you don't know me. I don't know you, and everybody's going to watch you shoot. It is a trigger-slapping trigger environment. <laughs> and 99% of the guys don't have handhelds. They only know what they've know, and it's some sort of index. And they're they're smart. They know what they're doing. There could be a way to improve, and they want to. It's just been tough to bridge that um, at a camp, you know, with twenty athletes. I think this is going to be a game changer. I'm hoping that we, you know, you guys can get production going again. As far as people will have the opportunity to order this and spend some time before 2021 fall and work through the process. Um, because like you sent me it and we did a good little video on it just to show people, I wouldn't call it a review, John. I would say more like initial impressions, just right out. Just wanted to unboxing video first group with it. It's awesome. And it's <laughs> literally going to help a lot of people. It's a game changer. So I don't know if there's negativity out there about it. I, I it's hard for me to understand that, or at least appreciate that. Cause I know what it's going to do for people. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't totally know because if I'm honest, I don't um, like I, d I disable comments on my YouTube stuff because I put information out there for people to consume and use. And if I'm going to keep putting information out, I definitely can't go back and like read through that. I'm just doing my best to, you know, we actually we have some people that are just that work full time for us that just flag subjects to where they put them in front of me and say like, hey, this was a good subject. I don't know if you've talked about it yet. And then sometimes that ends up being motivation for like the next video that I'm doing. So I don't, I mean, I don't really feel like, I don't feel like I've seen that. Um, I mean, if, if someone had a valid point, I would for sure address it. But um, I don't know. I feel like with this release, the hardest thing is going to be for people to have the patience to like get that release, watch that video, maybe watch that video of me doing a live practice session with the backstrap and understanding it a little bit and then not trying to like go too far too fast because it is an awesome tool, but learning those mechanics of like squeezing that, you know, just taking the, taking the slack out of the trigger. So the safety is off. And then just that slow, continual pull to come through the shot. Now, when I watch like the video that you sent me, either, either you kind of push the pedal a little faster when you're pulling through. I've never, I haven't see, seen you shoot like close up, but I know it was like an unboxing, but have you adjusted the poundage on that a little bit to where like once you're squeezing that trigger, you're pulling a little bit longer than on that initial setup? So I don't know what it came out. I thought it maybe came out of the package at 20 pounds ish. It, it was 19 probably 19. Okay. And then I used uh, HS three and figured out that my holding weight on my bow was like 11 pounds. Yep. And, and so I used a shot trainer and just did a few and then I stepped outside and I backed it, I backed it down or backed it off a little. So it was a little lighter 
than yep. out of the package. Yep. And I haven't messed with it since. I kind of liked where it was at. So um, when you when you're taking your slack out, like how long do you feel like you're kind of you're kind of in your float for that shot to go off where you feel like you're you're in like an efficient kind of an efficient you know zone because obviously like for me my shots go off anywhere from like four to seven seconds whenever i you know to the point where i acquire a trigger disengage a, sa a safety but some people are a little bit more aggressive on that and the other thing the other thing i'm going to do a video on is even though your bow's holding weight let's just say your holding weights for easy math 10 pounds that's when that cam breaks over and and like if you're using a scale or a drawboard, that's when your your cable is just touching the stop. Now as soon as you pull onto that wall, you because you're hitting a hard wall, and especially on a lot of these bows that have a harder wall, you can ramp that up pretty pretty fast. Like you can change how much preload you have really quick as an archer. And some people are super aggressive on that back wall. Like I remember like someone like Darren Cooper, you know, when he'd pull back or like Steve Anderson, when you're looking at their modules, you can see where they're like bending that cable. Cause they're, they're really hard on the wall. Whereas I've shot on walls long enough to where I don't really like to be that aggressive on the wall. Um, but that's just, that's just my style. So on some of these tension style releases, understanding your preload is like a really important point that really you have to learn through repetition. I think looking back when the longer I shot the backstrap in a, in a session, the longer it took to get a break. Perfect. Yeah, that's uh, good. And I don't know, this is probably not right. Again, I always tell everybody I'm not an archery coach. I'm a, a fitness nutrition guy who likes <laughs> to hunt elk. So don't, don't come at me, bro. But, uh, one thing I noticed as the session continued and it went longer, I had to actually push a little more with my bow hand and maybe that's a bad habit. I haven't been doing a good enough job initially pushing and pulling at the same time. And I don't know your thoughts on that, but it seemed to me like, I got lazy as the session went on and I just, it took longer for it to break. I'm not sure what was going on there. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, Barklow and I touched on that a little bit too. Um, one of the things is when, when, or actually I just talked, I talked, I did a podcast the other day with Andy Stumpf that's not out yet. I'm letting him release it first, but, um, we talked about, the further you go in distance a lot of times or the smaller you go on a like your actual aiming spot when your timing starts to change it's it's an indicator that you're aiming rather than pulling through and so like a big part of why I have a mantra that I like repeat to myself during my shot process like once I acquire the trigger and I'm repeating you know a short phrase to myself it helps me know kind of that timing. Um, I'm not really worried about the timing, but in the same sense, I don't want to be like, I don't want to take twice as long to make a shot at 80 yards as I do at 20. You really want to have the same shot at 80 as you do at 20. And that's something that archers should work towards because once they get that and they start having that cadence the same regardless of the distance regardless of the target and even regardless of the conditions like the really good outdoor archers like u.s level archers and even ones that are shooting a tension release or a hinge in windy conditions their shots are almost quicker than if it's not windy because they're, they know, okay, I got to just commit to this. Like I can't aim the longer I aim, the longer I'm blowing around, just, you know, commit to it. And I always tell people whenever you let off the safety or whenever you, uh, you know, acquire your thumb to like a knock to it, if you're shooting a thumb activated release 
and you, you're starting your pull, you know, I really focus on the tip of my elbow pulling back because I, I visualize it as like a tire iron. You know, if you grab it close, it's just way harder to to get movement because you don't have leverage. So when you bring your attention to the to the end of your elbow to the tip and you're thinking about that pulling, you just your mechanics are easier. So I tell people like think of that elbow and think of if you're pushing a gas pedal, if you come to a stop and you're at a dead stop and there's a bunch of people in the car how can you mash that gas pedal to where everyone in the car doesn't know you're going? You know, you don't want to rip everyone's head back, you know, every time you, you, you get a green light. You want to, like, get, get the gas going and then, and then increase it at a rate to where it's continual. And, but you're also, like, gaining ground. You know, you want to you wanna ramp it up, but you don't want to stomp it. So the intensity of that ramping you can vary that with practice and with a a surprise shot like learning learning that ramping is kind of what i refer to it with students you can you can really start to become a better um bow hunter with a tension or a hinge activation because there's times where your shot window is tight and you don't want to be punching the trigger. You want to just be like, okay, baby, you know, full throttle. Like, I'm almost pulling harder against the wall at the beginning to where when my thumbs start to acquire that safety, I'm already got more pressure on it than what I normally would. And so mm-hmm. that moment of that two-second window where I know that bull's in that lane he's getting an arrow because I've, you know, I've ramped it up more. And, and that's a valuable thing that, that one, you have to learn, but two, you kind of learn through recognition of just like what you said, you know, Hey, I noticed I started taking me a lot longer and yeah, there, there, it could be over aiming or, you know, wanting to aim more so than, than pull, and um, this week, I launched a School of Knock um, Part 2, and it the title is Behind the Line, and it talks about this exact thing of, like, that commitment of what you're doing behind the line more so than what the front pin is doing. And I think that'll help a lot of people that experience that same thing that you are of having it take longer just because you're, you know, shooting further no I, I, I like that it makes sense and it, it gives me an idea of okay what i need to work on and the analogy of the gas pedal i think a lot of people will grasp that you don't want to jerk everyone's head back <laughs> yeah you don't. and most importantly archery and specifically bow hunting is all about windows and there's always you're always in a window of opportunity and the size of the window is super variable and to have reps at all just comes with the process and the reps out in the field and the experience. Um, is there a way to duplicate that short window experience with a tension activated release? Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, what you have to do is um, you have to you have to actually like for me, what I would do is. I would change like a mantra. Like a lot of times I say I shoot X's cause they make me feel good. And like for like a hunting situation, if I know things are fast paced, you know, I might be just thinking to myself, you know, dead freaking center, you know, dead freaking center because I've shortened that term. And I know that my pull time has to be faster and I mean, and, and a lot of times if you see, if you watch back through my hunts where I'm making, like, I'm not a big, I don't think a walking shot is unethical, especially if the distance is like 20 yards or less, depending on the size of the animal, but then also like recognizing your speed and your, you know, your pin control. But on some of those shots, I mean, I'm 
following that target and pulling hard already. And once my thumb gets to that and I'm like, I'm pushing that pedal faster, you know, I'm not stomping it, but I'm, I'm pushing it faster and I'm pulling it harder. And, you know, it, I can get the shot to go off and in a reasonable, probably within a second or two of when I would want it to, just because I know like mash the pedal, commit to this sucker, you know, and I, sometimes I have to say the same thing in wind. Um, you know, there was a lot of wind on the, that doe, uh, video that I posted the other day with the backstrap and the wind was coming straight in the blind. It was like just gusting right into the window. So I, I was all about trust the float, you know, 80% throttle on this baby, you know, give it a little bit extra and, um, and that's what you have to do, but you can practice that. You can either, you can either count in your head and kind of say like, okay, I want this. I need this to be able to go within four seconds. And so you take the trigger off and you, as you're pulling your one, two, three, you know, and if it, if it's not going off, then you know, like, okay, let off the safety, let down, let me go through this again. How much more do I need to pull? Because, that preload, I'm telling you, the preload on the wall of your cam is the one thing that continual repetition and practice will give you that um, nothing, if you, don't, if you don't practice with a cam system, your muscle memory of that finite weight is just not the same. I mean, Dan, imagine if like, when you did, if you gave people an exercise routine, but every time they use a different cable machine, you know what I mean? It's like, you really wouldn't know what kind of weight you're moving because every, you know, if that cable's a little thicker, if you've got like a three pulley system versus a two, depending on right. if that person grease the freaking, you know, if they lube their you know, the freaking poles that are running through the cage. It's like, there's so many factors, but like, if you're working out on the same stuff all the time, your ability to like do negatives and controlled negatives. And like, you know, I'm a big negative person for lifting. So, you know, controlled negatives are awesome, but if you're not like used to the weight or used to the, to the machine and you even know, like, I can grab I can grab a set of like rogue dumbbells or I can grab some like I don't know old DPs and they like feel different even if they're 50 pounds they feel different and just you know you have to you have to shoot a system so much to where your your mind muscle connection which is also a big reason why I'm a huge fan in people that are into fitness because your mind muscle connection is just super tuned to understand like pulling against something. Now, when people try to pull too much weight, they're like afraid they're you can tell they're afraid of it and they pull harder on they they pull a lot harder or if people like some people that want to get like a turbo model just because someone else is shooting one, but if they're not someone that practices a lot or they're not a seasoned archer, that turbo cam is more aggressive and it takes more experience to control it. Like I can't control it. I don't, I don't like a super demanding back wall with a short Valley. So like I wouldn't do good with that, but if I did make that decision to do it, I would have to practice with it more to be able to have that like mind muscle connectivity. If you, you follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, certainly. Um, and you know, I think a lot of people can understand like Wi-Fi connection, like the weight room or your training outside of archery can increase your, your, how many bars of Wi-Fi you have to your muscle. And I feel like there's a direct connection to like kinesthetic awareness and creating good neural pathways. All those fancy words is dude, we're just trying to bolster your Wi-Fi connectivity to your muscle memory. Um, it makes sense. It's almost undeniable. Some people will still, but yeah, there's a lot of benefits to that. Um, I have to bring this up, dude. You said Andy Stump. Yeah. Um, funny story. So <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen him 
in real life since like 2006 or seven. And like, I don't know him. I've only met him one time and it was the funniest, like you guys are buds. So you're going <laughs> to kick out of this. Um, and I, like I said, I don't even know if you listen to your podcast, but we, I went to a CrossFit certification in Santa Cruz, California. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm 26 years old. Uh, pretty, pretty much feel like I know it all. And I signed up for this. In fact, the CrossFit certification system at the time had like a level one and a level two and a level three. And I was so like, not humble that I was like, why would I take level one? I'm going to take level two. And I didn't even know anything about CrossFit. <laughs> and I roll in down there and I think Stump knew right away. Like I was a total, didn't know, I didn't know shit about CrossFit. And uh, he, I like this he picked story on me. He picked on me the entire weekend. Like we went out to the bar, like the whole certification after like day one and he or day two even and he was trying to get me just so drunk buying me drinks <laughs> bringing me drinks and we had to test out the next day and it wasn't a written test it was like you had to go and coach a whole class and demonstrate these movements i don't know how he got where he was at i thought he was a military guy but apparently he was out <laughs> and uh that's my only interaction with your boy andy stump so andy if you're listening man um Dude. thanks for all the drinks you ruined, i was pretty hung over the next day trying to pass a test well that hey <laughs> if he did a class today it would be the same class yeah we <laughs> um yeah we we went deep in the paint this weekend andy andy's um we Sharon and I really wanted to surprise Andy, so we got some of his local friends to all like kind of come up with a master plan. And Sharon and I flew out, and um, he had been wanting me to come out and podcast, and really wanting to, to snowboard. And I kept telling him like, I just can't, dude. I got too much stuff going on. And it with COVID, we just hadn't seen each, each other in a while. And he uh, he's kind of going through a wicked divorce and. Um, he just couldn't hunt much last year. And anyway, we kind of, there was just a lot of buildup. So as soon as we sat down to podcast, you know, he had a fresh pint of, or a fresh, uh, freaking kegger of Guinness. And then he got a, a bottle of high West bourbon and we freaking plowed through that on his podcast. And then, um, we ended up meeting up with our meeting up with the ladies and going to, uh, to the ski lodge and then I met a couple of his other buddies and it was insane the consumption and it was there was a lot of there was some of uh Andy's former seal buddies were there and uh oh god I'm, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if any of them are like still active too so I won't say names but yeah it, it got into a mess and actually there was a very similar conversation like someone ended up saying something about like a you know like bag of dicks or something and Sharon said why why did like why do why do you guys say that <laughs> like what does it mean and he goes I got it from Andy he goes I was at a freaking CrossFit certification and some poor sucker was in the squat rack like trying to learn how to properly squat and they were freaking just like their head was straight up to the ceiling and Andy just goes, you looking at a bag of dicks up there or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. He's not filtered ever. No. As far as I know. No, but, no. So but... is that an actual podcast of you guys pounding that and, and it progressing? I imagine that's oh, going to yeah. be a good listen. Yeah. I think okay. it, was, it was two and a half or three, it, th two and a half or three hours. We just kind of went after it, but yeah, it ended up being one of those things where, it was pretty epic. I think it was like eight bottles of wine, a bottle of bourbon, a bottle of gin, a gallon of Tito's, and yeah, I think uh, there was a couple people that did not know what was coming, and Andy's got a really good knack for like when he knows someone's in a tailspin, that's when mm -hmm. he'll kind of do what he did to you, mm -hmm. and when that happens, <laughs> then you're going to be lucky to see him the next day. And yeah, he did, he did that same thing to someone. <laughs> okay. So he's got was, reps. Oh yeah. So I was like, okay, perfect. Dang dude. You were right on his radar. That's hilarious. 
Yep, I, he picked me out. But uh, when you did know, you start? I'm, when did you start getting after it, like in the weight room? So I I graduated uh, high school um, and became a trainer, and was able to kind of put myself through undergrad and grad being a trainer. So I've always been a trainer. Um, and then I took it really serious right out of college and pursued like I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach for the NFL. So I did some cool like internships that lined me up with professional athletes. And th- meanwhile, dude, I got into bow hunting like big time, like all or nothing. And, and I what realized got, what got you into that? Like what well, my dad, my dad took me hunting when I was a kid. And I got my hunter safety when I was 10. But, you know, when you hit junior high, you start doing ball sports yeah, and yeah. wrestling. I didn't hunt all of junior high and high school because of sports. And so when I got out of high school, I actually asked my dad if he wanted to get back into hunting because I had time. And so the I killed a bull elk with a rifle my first time ever elk hunting on, you know, some public ground here in Washington. And I started looking into it and I was like, well, hold the front door. I need to bow hunt these elk. They actually bugle in September. And so the only reason I bought a bow was to hunt elk in September. And so that's kind of what started it. And meanwhile, I'm finding out that strength and conditioning coaches, whether it be collegiate or professional football, dude, you're on the sideline in the fall. You're like, you're training your athletes all spring, all summer, and you're not going hunting in the fall. You're on the sidelines. And that's when I decided that I did not want to be a strength and conditioning coach anymore. And so that's when I kind of took a different angle. But yeah, hunting basically has changed my life in a nutshell. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so when did you, um, do you remember when we first met? I swear I met you at an ATA show. Like, and really the reason I remember is because it wasn't common that I would see people that I knew were in shape. Like, oh, okay. And I'm trying to think, like, it had to have been, it had to have been, like, a decade ago or something. Well, here's a fun Cause, fact. Because you were, like, I mean, you're in shape now, but you were, you were, like, you know, you were kind of going full crazy at, at, yeah. a, at a, maybe I'm wrong, but, like, 10 years ago, I think you're at a point where you're just like, okay, I'm just going to like do this until I break something. <laughs> yeah, no, it's called CrossFit competitions. Yeah, and Andy yeah. could probably help me make fun of CrossFit. I love CrossFit, but um, I think there's other ways. But uh, we were competing, trying to go to the furthest level we could at CrossFit. And, and that when I met you and in fact, you we did a collab. You did. Uh, we started this company called Train to Hunt in 2010, and you, I don't know how we convinced you to make a video for us on what you did to train for hunting, but you did it, and you did it like you didn't half-ass it. Like you made us like a three-video series that we could use on our website. Um, I remember that, and God, that's what how. Even, what did I even look like then? <laughs> oh, I don't know. You were still tall. Um, yeah, and... that hasn't changed. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, we all. I don't want to look back ten years. Ten years is a long time, but it was. Ten it years was really cool, man. Thirties. Yeah, ten and years. And I remember thirties. Talking to you, and you were like, um, "We didn't have similar training philosophies at all at the time, but we wanted your stuff because you were like, bro, I've been mentored by um, an IFBB guy. I can't remember his Frank name. Frank Zane." Frank, 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 yeah, yeah, Frank and Arnold. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, dude, let's, let's, let's take John's way and put it in here. And it actually turned out really cool. It was a lot of density training, a lot of hypertrophy and just like making yourself for lack of a better term, sturdier. And it was really, we used it and it was really cool. Did I, did I film that like in a snap fitness or something? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. 100%. 100%. All right. And I don't have that video anymore, man. I got I don't know where it is, but Gosh, yes. That's pretty awesome. No, I remember yeah. that, but like I always I just remember meeting you and I don't know, there's just there's 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 certain things you can get in life without having to work for it, and there's certain things that you you have to work for to get it. And I knew by looking at you that like you were putting in time 
And so for me, I'm like, okay, well, this dude's freaking putting in time and he's probably going to, you know, and one, I never, like the Western crowd is, um, it's just kind of a different niche, you know? And, and I think because I'm not out West, like I'm still kind of looked at as a whitetail hunter, even though I honestly don't really know how much I like whitetail hunting until November. That's because, <laughs> Amen. like, when November comes around, I'm like, oh, I freaking love this. But then other than that, I'm like, why does everyone call me a whitetail hunter? You know, <laughs> because no, I, I yeah. don't. It's, you know, I, I hunt whitetails hard for, like, 21 to 30 days of the year. I hunt everything else every other day, you know, the other 330 whatever I'm going after other stuff. So, but well, yeah. what's annoying, I got to tell you, what's annoying about you, and I got to shoot you straight, is how <laughs> easy you make whitetail. I know it's not. I know how much work you you got tractors, you're putting in work, and I applaud you for showing the back end in your socials. You do a darn good job of that, but it doesn't matter. I still hate you because you're, you make it look so easy, and as an elk hunter, I also whitetail hunt, and I got mad respect for whitetail hunting. It's, I actually get more buck fever than I do elk fever, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. Big, I mean, it's 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 hard for people to comprehend, but I, I when like white like I can't say whitetail are smarter. I mean, if if there were like if whitetail were in herds like elk were, God, you would never kill one. I mean. You just not a big yellow school bus running around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the target's bigger and also you can get like elk except noise because they're noisy, especially then like they're breaking stuff. And a lot of times with a bull, like I'm better off making noise, getting to him than, you know, especially if I'm calling, he's responding and I'm, and we're like meeting each other. You almost need to have some noise. Whereas if he's the only one talking and you're ambushing, which is this hunt that's coming up, I tried, I tried calling and I've heard about this from a lot of people, but, um, I had a pretty good draw, but man, were the elk just really finicky for like communication. It was like, there were days for no reason they were going crazy. And then there were just days on end of nothing and they're there. You know, and they're they were totally there, and the weather changed so much. So I mean, I ended up luckily having a bull that was responding, but not like he was responding to the to the call, but he wasn't interacting. He wasn't like pursuing. So I finally just got to the point where I called to him, got visual on him, and then thought like, okay, I can see him now. He'll probably try to call at me a few times to see if I'm still around. But before he shuts up, I'm going to try to like ambush him and kill him, which is what what happened. I ended up killing him from him making a few random bugles to see if I was still close to him. Um, but with whitetails, I actually um, – one of the things that I learned lifting – and this is one of the things I learned from, from Frank was, you know, it's not about like how heavy of a weight you're moving. It's about how heavy can you make a particular weight feel? And so when I started doing that one, I had way less injuries and two, I was able to recover better. And when I recovered better, I just, I started lifting smarter and I'm not like, I'm not, it's kind of like with you, there was a time where we, where we felt like we were like probably our most jacked stages, but there also comes a point where it's like, I like being right here. I'm intense. I feel good. I don't feel like I'm overtraining. I also have time to shoot. There's kind of that in between. And it, it's like, I call it like an efficiency. You've, you've found, you've found a way to be more efficient to be at a level that you want to be at. And with whitetail hunting, I feel like I've found that although I used to freaking hunt my nuts off for whitetails, I just don't think I was hunting smart. I, like, I feel mm. like, I feel like 
I put pressure on when it wasn't there. And honestly, like even with elk, um, on this Montana trip, I, I pursued elk for three different times. I, I left, I left, left, came back, left, came back, left, came back. I started, I started September one and I ended up killing the bull on, I think the 15th day, but that was, I think like September 30th. So, you know, it's just like, okay, they're here, but they're not doing anything. And me being here and me putting scent down is only going to push these out. And it's like, I got to be here when I got to be here when, when I can, you know, when the, when I can strike. So, you know, I just kind of kept bouncing, coming back. And then I would feel it out for like a hunt or two and then be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to bust out to Utah. And the day that I killed, I had, I actually had killed a bull in Utah, um, the night before the day before at like three o'clock in the afternoon, by the time I got done with the bull, it was like seven o'clock and I drove, I drove like pedal to the metal, pull on the trailer and got to Montana <laughs> at, at first light, we were getting dressed and it was just like, you know, it, it was just like serious road miles. It, it was like truly a marathon, but I feel like with whitetails and with elk, if you have the ability for freedom of time, knowing when the time is right, just you're just more productive. I mean, a hundred percent are, you have chances if you're just going a lot, like just being there more also raises opportunity just by sheer, you know, just by sheer like number of how long you're out there. But I mean, I think you would agree too. There's days where you're, where you're out there and you're like, man, this was, I could have done something way better with my time. <laughs> oh could. God. I think everybody knows that elk hunters wise, like time is the killer. It's an odds multiplier, but I think in a way I mimic what you just described. Maybe I don't leave Montana and come back a week later, but like, I certainly don't like to hunt the same elk much more than a day. And, and there's always exceptions. Yeah, But I really like to bounce, even though I maybe had a great morning session in there, bulls were ripping and I got in tight, just didn't get a shot or I screwed it up. If they didn't smell me, I might be tempted to go back in there, but even, but most likely, even if they didn't smell me, I'm probably going to just put it on ice. And I also look at elk hunting as like your best opportunity is your first time in there. Yeah. And then the odds go down significantly the more you pound the same pavement. They double every day is what I've told people. Oh, I like that. Yeah, like um for whitetails, I mean like the main like one of the I've got multiple farms where I've either got permission or I mean and honestly some of the places are 40 acres. You know, I've killed ones on three acres. Like it's like mm-hmm. some. You, sometimes you have to find the right deer and find the right low pressure and know when they're rutting in that area and you know kind of read the signs and take a judgment call. But like on on the main place that I hunt, it's really not that big. Like I I actually had permission on way bigger farms in Wisconsin, um, but what I notice is like on that spot. I never hunt, like, I'll never hunt the same tree twice. So, you know, I've probably got, like, 20 sets. So there's, like, a set for every 10 acres. Um, But I'll never sit the same one twice. And a lot of times, even the same area, like, if I go sit an area, and, and honestly, it was even like this for late season. If I go sit in, sit a stand, like, let's say I see... 15 deer and had an awesome hunt and really felt like I did pretty good getting out of there without boogering something. It's kind of like, it's almost a given that the next time I'm going to see seven, six or seven animals. And then by the third day hunting in a row, I'm going to see two to three. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you can't, I really feel like if you can't kill a mature deer that you're going after within two and a half days, then man, are you just like really just rolling some crap dice? Like you're just totally doing like a crap shoot. 
Um, cause I remember I had the same thing happen. I had a really big buck that I was going after and, um, I had a, I had, um, one of my bosses with me, actually, he had, he had a tag and, um, the first night I went and hunted this deer, I just had a feeling I would see him and I did. And just like, he didn't know I was there, but I didn't get a shot. And, and I told my boss about it. And the next, that next morning we actually went to a different spot and he killed, he killed a buck that day at like noon. We, we, um, rattled a deer in at like noon and he killed it. So then the next day he goes, I'm, I want to, I want to come film you and see how you hunt. So he's like, are we going to go after that buck? And I said, yeah, I mean, I want to, but I'm not going there. And I kind of showed him like, you know, I saw him here on this place. I'm like, we're going to go two miles north and I've got another property that I have permission on. And I said, I think there's a set there I haven't been in all year. And I, I just, let's go see what's going on in there. And I ended up killing that buck there, you know, two days later, two miles away. And, and I never bumped him, you know? So like some of that stuff is just like knowing the area, being super efficient. Um, but I know for a lot of people that have vacation time and they have to put in with their boss, like that it's really hard to do that. You know, it's super hard to do that. And in those cases, yeah, you got to just take your, your best crack at it. But, um, do you know Bert Soren? Uh, yeah, we've spoken on the phone once. Um, I don't, I, we're not probably just acquaintances, but I definitely know all about him. I follow him on Instagram and love what he does. Yeah. So Bert, Bert has a, um, a farm and he took like his dad and a couple buddies to this farm. And it was a farm where they hadn't been in there the whole year. And he was actually calling me and saying, Hey, we're going to come for five days. When's the time? So I just mm-hmm. kind of said like, it. it's a couple hours from here. So I just said, I'll like, just be on the ready. And so I called him. I'm like, you're going to need to be here like, you know, next Monday. And they came down and he was like, yeah, our freaking cameras are blowing up and everything. Mm-hmm. And then within two days, he, he's like, man, can I tell the difference by bringing two extra people? He's he because like in the I think in the year past he kind of just went down by himself, and he's just like I had to get away from like everything I knew like everything I'd normally hunted I had to to get away from it you know because he said we just that little extra pressure of you know one person shooting a deer and getting out of his stand an hour into the hunt and like moving it around and he just said man it just freaking totally changed the dynamics and honestly. Where I hunt in Montana, my whole hunt depends on public land, local pressure. Yep. Like a hundred percent of my hunt, which is honestly why early it wasn't good. Yeah. And then mid it was good, but they weren't talking and they had been bumped enough by locals to where they were somewhat call shy. But then by the end of the month, they were they were talking more because they had been relocated long enough to get comfortable, but it was a hundred percent. Like I'm hunting elk that I'm banking on other people. And honestly, my whitetails, I would say 70% of the whitetails I kill are whitetails that I wait for a neighbor to bump. Oh my gosh, dude, this is awesome. I mean, people need to think like this. This is a real thing, especially I can talk to elk hunting. Like you can't, John Dudley can't control what Dan Staten does on an elk hunt if we're in the same unit. You can't control what I'm doing, but you can be observant and see where are the bottle bottlenecks of all the hunters, what trailheads, where's everyone camped, who's got uh, PSE stickers on the back of their truck and block targets in camp. You can figure out who's hunting where and then keep your cards tight and know when to play them because that pressure is going to affect all these species. And they're going to make an adaptation. And I think that's the nuance in figuring out how to basically maximize those opportunities. Uh, you've obviously figured out with the whitetail. That is so cool to hear that you're hunting deer that get bumped and that you're, stri- like, you're surgical. And that's 
that's kind of cool, honestly. I like that approach. Well, and even like, honestly, even with, um, I don't know. I look at, I look at time in a blind as this time is borrowed, you know, it's borrowed time and you have to borrow so much of it in order to produce. Like occasionally you'll get lucky and kill something in the first hour. And there's times where people are like, Oh dang dude, first night out, you got something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is cool. Which is actually what happened with, um, with one of the bigger bucks that I shot this year. But it's also like, hey, man, four years ago, I hunted 27 days before I killed a deer in this spot. You know, so, like, it's time borrowed. But what I will say is, like, when I go on a hunt, like, for antelope, for example, if you if you get out of the blind, it's like you've take, you've kind of given time back. And then, because then stuff has to get comfortable and come back. And it's like, yeah. even though, even though a 12 hour hunt sucks, a 12 hour hunt is more, more likely to produce than four, three hour hunts. So it's like, okay, do I want to get ready four times or do I want to just like freaking pack a sandwich in a piss bottle and just get this over with? <laughs> Yeah, dude, and it's – dude, I, I'm an antelope hunting fool, so I totally get that analogy. It's true. Um, I particularly have spent a lot of time in the ground blind, mainly for antelope. I don't know if there's – like, that's a mental grind. Like, especially, like, August, it's in the 90s. It's hotter in that blind, dude. And there's – maybe there's not much wind. You're not getting much wind into the blind. So it's just – stagnant hot dry air and you're supposed to stay sharp and not fall asleep but you know you know if you do, if you get out somewhere an antelope will see that their 10 power vision and they'll take note and you just screwed the next set i mean it's it's probably more chess than checkers than people think oh yeah well that it's totally what it is it's totally chess and checkers um well before um, I know you and I've, we're, we're it's kind of getting late. I've actually got a call I have to jump on, but one of the things that's cool and I, I kind of hope, hoped we'd talk about it is, um, you're going to come here and we're going to, we're going to kind of have a little powwow. So, which I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'd, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to, to work with you, you know, in the gym and obviously some shooting stuff too. And, um, hopefully if there's any, anything that your followers out there, you know, want to see from my end, then, you know, we can do it. But sometime here in the, you know, next month or two, we're going to hook up and try to get some content for people that can help them out down the road. Yeah. I'm stoked. I'm going to, we're going to make it happen. I got, uh, my camp season's coming up, so we're going to squeeze it in and make it happen. And I'm excited because I am going to show up and I want to be awarded the most coachable athlete you've worked with in a long time. And that's, that's going to be a tall order, but I'm serious. I think if I could just walk in there and be like, just pick me apart, make me better. I mean, it's a win-win. And that's the cool thing about archery is I've never mastered it. I don't know anyone who has, and I know there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot on the table I can get better at. And who better than you to help me do that, man? Well, being coachable is, I mean, if for those who are coachable, they're always the ones that progress fastest. I mean, just, you know, it's, it's a hundred percent true. And yeah, you wouldn't be where you're at if you weren't, you weren't coachable. And there's probably a lot of stuff that I'm not going to need to show you, but the cool thing about people that are committed, which you certainly are a lot of times. And I find this with people, I don't necessarily show them anything new, but I give them confirmation that like what they're doing is right. And just that nugget of like, yeah, dude, this is freaking spot on. Go with it. It's, it's just like enough confidence to where you can, you know, it, you, you almost can apply yourself just a little bit more because you know that, you know, you're not like missing some small detail, you know, that maybe you're unsure about. So it'll be, it'll be cool. 
and yeah, I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to to shoot with you a little bit. It'd be awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. Cool, dude. Well, thanks a lot, and make sure all of you Knock On Nation community check out Dan Stanton and the Elk Shape. Um, he's got some pretty cool camps, and he's got podcasts. You do some really good videos. I uh, loved what you did in December with you know the the Chub Challenge, which was freaking awesome. And uh, yeah, it's it's a freaking good thing you're doing, man. I really appreciate it. And I know that, um, I know you made it a few, few changes on sponsors and stuff too. And all those guys that landed you, uh, freaking scored. Cause, uh, yeah, I really appreciate what you're doing. It's awesome. Mm, thanks, man. I appreciate you. All right. See you, Dan. Knock on everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com